season number one, episode 25, yeah. One Goal More Podcast, Justice Del Santos, Rory O'Toole, Serena Carana, after much trial and tribulation, this is our third time trying to get this recording going. We're having some technical difficulties. Serena, are you actually there this time? Please say I'm yes. I'm here. I'm correct. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. <laughs> For the listeners, for the listeners, I can't express how difficult it was to get this done. We've been trying so hard to get this recording because we're not all in the same place right now. I'm in Berkeley right now. I don't even know where Rory is. He could be anywhere. I think Serena's somewhere in North Dakota. I think that's what that was my intel, allegedly. Pretty close. Yeah, Wisconsin actually. You said Wisconsin. Yeah. Are you uh, the Bucks? They got eliminated a couple of days ago. Was that what you were there for? Um, no, actually, just sightseeing. It's a great place. Sight. <laughs> and what about you, Rory? Where are you at right now? Uh, lawyer says I can't talk about it, but let's. Uh, I'm safe. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly safe. <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm sending an SOS in Morse code right now. So get by your telegraph. And you'll find out where I am. <laughs> but it's been a while since all three of us have gotten together. And now it's not even just the off season. Like Technically, it is the off season, but it's summertime now. And Rory, that means you graduated. You're done. You're finished. I'm done. They kicked me out. They kicked me out the program like White King. They said, we're done with you. Get the hell out of Berkeley. So I'm I'm out. I made it through. It's uh it's been quite the journey. Rory, I'm gonna hit you with the I'm gonna hit you with the talk about real quick. Talk about what it's like to to finally after being in school for however many years, what like sixteen plus years, talk about what it's like to finally be done. I feel like I'm being asked a question like like those guys who get out of prison after 25 plus years. Like, what's it like to be a free man? <laughs> it's like the cars look different. Um, I don't know all this cell phone business. Um, it's pretty wild, man. I, uh, you have a sense of accomplishment, and also you don't really have uh, the familiarity anymore. So it's just. It's a mix of uh, anxiety and, like, feeling like you uh, made it through, like, walk to Everest or something. So, it's it's pretty wild. I really haven't processed it yet, but over the next coming days, I think I'm existential crisis is going to set in. And Rory, um, talk about what your reflections on the whole 4.0 in life goal, you know? <laughs> I think I'm at like a three eight right now. Oh, that's pretty solid. That's pretty impressive. My, I had my grad party yesterday, and we got um, it catered by La Tapatia in South City. If you ever in that taqueria down there, it's super super fire. So I just have a bunch of leftover Mexican food in my house right now, and. If you have that much Mexican food, you're really close to a 4.0 in life. Like, that's one of the main ingredients to accomplishing that. Graduation, Mexican food, 
and talking Cal basketball. I can't think of <laughs> the holy tr- the holy trinity of things. The holy trinity, oh. right? <laughs> and Serena, you know, we're talking about Rory graduating, but you've completed two years now. You're now an upperclassman. I'm gonna hit you with the talk about too. Talk about what it feels like to hit the halfway point. Um, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> I feel like I just started, and now it's like I'm an upperclassman, like you said, and that's just like too fast. Time's flying. Um, yeah, I can't say anything else about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, you're really old, Serena. I feel really old, Royce. You must feel really, really old. Yeah, I I know I'm close to death right now. It's it's getting real close. <laughs> I can feel it going. I feel as if Roy, I'm I'm looking at La Tapatia's menu right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you gotta go. It looks really good. I think you're not gonna get trip over there. Yeah, if you ever by the airport, San Francisco airport, you gotta make a stop mm-hmm. there. All right, perfect. See, we're just having to be by the San Francisco airport. Honestly, that's got to be the next, like, one golden moment crew adventure. Just right there. Oh, yes. We could do a video, some visual art for the podcast. Us trying some food, talking cow basketball over tacos, and I would love that. Some people have told me that I need to do a daily cow, like, clog video for the mac and cheese that i made i know serena can attest to us rory unfortunately unfortunately rory you haven't been able to yet but i've been told that's the move serena can you attest to that oh yeah that mac, cheese, that mac and cheese was really good and i'm lactose intolerant and like people were just raving about it so it's like i just gotta try like a couple bites of this and i was like wow that is good. I, I gotta get that mac and cheese asap Wait, are you, Justice, are you one of those people where you have an Instagram devoted just to what you make, like, your food? Like, a completely foodie Instagram? Oh, it's not completely foodie. It's like a, it's like a combination of just random endeavors I get myself into. So, I think the, the main foundations of my Instagram are posting about this podcast, both when I'm recording it and after it happens, and then just food that I either eat or make. And I think that's those are the two pillars. Everything else is just kind of kind of extra. This is a side note yesterday. I need to, to tell you about this endeavor. And I don't care that we're not getting off. We're getting off the track of basketball completely. And I think this is just going to turn into a food podcast. But yesterday, yesterday, I tried something called crispy, crunchy chicken. And you think like, oh, okay, what's what's the deal? It's just fried chicken. This is some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. But on a side note, and arguably more importantly, it comes from a gas station. What? <laughs> I'm not making this up. It comes from a gas station. Shout out to my homie Alexander Walker Griffin. This is gas station fried chicken. And not even just the chicken. They got honey biscuits. I'm going to send you a picture after this. This is some of the greatest chicken that I've ever had, and it came from a gas station in Rodeo. And the thing, too, it's the fastest, according to my friend Alex, it's the fastest growing fast food eatery in the nation, and it comes from a gas station. I got two of them in a five-mile radius of me. Wait, what's the name of this place? Crispy Crunchy Fried Chicken. Hey, if there's any representatives listening, I need y'all to drop the bag on me. I'm giving you free advertising. Yo, this is sponsorship (laughs) right now. 
honestly, like Red Bull, I, I need to stop saying their name right now because Red Bull never sent the bag. No coffee has ever sent the bag. I, I don't know about crispy, crunchy fried chicken. I will say that is delicious, though, and this is not a sponsorship. I'm not being sponsored to say this. <laughs> what? Okay. We need to like... run in SF. I got to go. And Serena, I know that you're a vegetarian, so maybe you just get the honey biscuits. Thank you. <laughs> okay we're like completely off track but we actually do have some some cal basketball to talk about and there's actually been a lot of developments that have happened over the past what has it been like three weeks or four weeks since we've done a podcast about that time yeah we didn't get zion unfortunately um, yeah Roy, your whole landed the whole tank for Zion thing actually didn't uh, end up working out. I-, I checked with the NCAA regulations. That's not exactly how it works. Both me, both me and Stephen A. Smith were pretty broken up about it. Um, but did you see just sidetrack that he recorded his reaction in the dark in his car? That's like real commitment, dude. That dude is always on. I've seen him do a couple re- like they'll shoot to him when he's in the house like he's in his personal house and they just shoot him and what does his family say (laughs) he had that rant a couple days ago when he was talking about magic johnson how he works like 345 out of 365 days a year oh yeah something like that he does work a lot he's a grinder absolute madman gruden grinder rant a lot he does his blood pressure must be off the charts. But getting to the developments, and there have been a lot of developments that have happened with Cal basketball, both positive and negative. I think we should get with the the more negative and the the biggest blows to this program. Uh, I think we'll we'll go through these subjects one by one, and we'll sort of delve into them as we go along. But the first piece of news that we have yet to really dive into, because it wasn't really made official. He was only in the transfer portal, but that is the a transfer of Justice Suing transferring to the Ohio St- the Ohio State University. Play the sad flute music. Uh, apparently, there was only room for one justice in Berkeley. That's what that's what my intel is telling me. Uh, there will be a justice uh, on, around the basketball team next year. Unfortunately, that justice will be me and not Justice Suing. Um, I don't think we need to go through, you know, the stats and just his general impact. He was their star player, led the team. He was, well, actually, I'm just going to go through the stats to really, to really drive home the point. He was either in the top two of all five major statistical categories, led the team in points, rebounds, and steals while ranked second in assists and blocks. And he becomes the second major piece of this team to depart from the program, the first being Darius McNeil, who transferred to SMU. There's another player. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, per NCAA transfer regulations, he will have to sit out next season, but will be eligible for two seasons with Ohio State. And with him having made his decision, you know, it's a really big blow to the program. We kind of touched upon what his departure may mean in a previous podcast, but now that it's really official and he's officially gone from the program, what are our sort of, well, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts on him deciding to choose Ohio State, because personally, I thought he was going to stay close to home, whether that be San Diego State or his father's alma mater, which is Hawaii. Yeah, I was surprised he chose Ohio State, but I was reading up and apparently Chris Holtman, the head coach of uh, the Buckeyes, had recorded uh, recruited him out of high school 
uh, to go to Butler when he was the coach of Butler. So I guess there was a past relationship there, and uh, that I guess that factored in in him going to uh, Columbus. And then you would have to think it also makes a lot of sense as to why he would want to go to a school like uh, Ohio State. Because, you know, it is another top, you're going to another top five program, but you're also going to one that's going to be relatively more successful than the one that you are at. And this can be one of those situations where the stats that he puts up might not necessarily be better at Ohio State than they are at Cal. You'd have to figure that if he played all four years at Cal, he's going to get his numbers. But this could be one of those situations where even though he's not putting up the same stats, he's getting more exposure and, you know, potentially... If all goes well for Ohio State, they're looking at a tournament appearance, and we all know how someone's draft stock can rise because of a good showing at a tournament. So I feel like that may have been a big factor into it as well. And you also got to consider it's the Ohio State University. I mean, let's don't get it twisted. It's a huge upgrade from the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him for going to Ohio State. When you get that kind of opportunity, you kind of got to take it, I think. Um, his usage rate and opportunities to score, of course, going to be a lot higher at Berkeley, but the competition's better in the Big Ten. Ohio State is a perennial NCAA tournament um, participant. Chris Boltman's a great coach. They have a really good recruiting class. They've got good history. Plus, you know, Club Trillion is there. Shout out the media. You know, he's going to get that the Mark Titus bump. So there's a lot of a lot to like over there. And you also yeah, got to both are just like definitely outweigh you know the cons. And like if you're comparing Berkeley and um, Ohio State, like ultimately he felt like he wasn't you know his potential wasn't being fulfilled here in Berkeley and. To go to school like Ohio State, yeah, like the competition is just going to be better, and you're going to have those opportunities more. I feel like. And you got to consider this was you can consider this kind of a crossroads in Suing's collegiate career, because while he is coming off a season in which he was the face of Cal men's basketball, and you know he was definitely their best player, and you know if this team was better, he could probably been up for you know, potentially a, an all-conference nomination, even though that may have been more of an outside shot, uh, you got to consider this as more of a crossroads because the way that I see it as, especially with last year and what we saw and, you know, how he didn't really make that leap from year one to year two, given that he's now going to have this gap year in terms of, you know, being on the court, he's going to have that opportunity to really refine the elements of his game that we didn't really get to see him work on, which was the jumper, you know, being able to play more of that point forward role, his dribble, his passing. And you never know what that, thir- that you know, what a gap year can really do for a player in terms of their improvement. Because, you know, as we were sort of, I, t- I talk about this in terms of the context of writing. It's like when you're sort of in that zone and you're going through the day-to-day grind of like writing briefs, previews, recaps, you never really have that opportunity to step outside your bubble and really evaluate. And I feel like with suing, having that year to just take a step back, evaluate everything that had happened over the course of his career to this point, and then go into his final two, two, his final two years with that sort of new clarity might not just be good from a you know a physical standpoint, but it'll also be good from a mental standpoint to really 
cleanse his mind of all of you know the losing that he had endured in those first two years as a collegiate basketball player? Yeah, I mean, you referred to him as the face of Cal basketball, and I feel like that's the equivalent of being the captain of the Titanic. You know, it's not exactly a title you want to hold. Um, I mean, I think he's going to develop a lot. I expect him to develop a three-point shot, which he didn't have when he was at Cal. And now that he has this year to just, you know, be in the gym and work with the Ohio State coaching staff, I think, you know, he'll develop a three-point shot. He'll become a better playmaker. He'll, you know, just improve in all facets of the game because he definitely works hard. He has a good basketball IQ. He wants to win. So, I mean, I think it's going to be great for him. It's great for his career. And I think if you look at someone, you know, I don't want to compare the two players, but if you look at someone like Keta Bates-Diop and you see how his two years kind of went, you know, him, you know, kind of in that, not necessarily that point forward role, but, you know, a forward that can score. And you really see the jump that he made from the time that he entered Ohio State to the time that he left. He ended up, you know, turning into an NBA caliber player. And I'm not trying to, you know, automatically put suing in that box and say the expectation is that he is going to make that leap from being a very solid college player. But the point is really to make, there is a chance. You know, he's, you know if he could show what he did at Cal, you know, what can he do at Ohio State? So it's it's mainly to illustrate that point that, you know, potentially in a different environment, arguably a better environment for his development, what he has the potential to turn into if really given that opportunity to be in an environment where they can really hone in on what he's good at and really sort of dilute away some of the potential weaknesses in his game and just really improve his game as a whole. Yeah, uh, this is a very hot takey first take kind of question, but... Uh oh. Of Justice leaving had to do with Ohio State being just a better option, or how much of it had to do with Berkeley being such a dumpster fire that he was just going regardless of where it was going to be? Where, where do you think he was leaning? Like, he's just like, I need to get out, or like, Ohio State appeared and he's like, this is a better option. Let's do it. Well, I mean, yeah, Berkeley, like, I'm sure that was propelling him out a bit, but, like, he wouldn't have just... Maybe he would have gone anywhere. I don't know. Yeah, um, I feel the same way. I don't know if he was definitely going or not. That's what I'm yeah. not sure about. I mean, leaving Berkeley, you are, like, you know, just, as Justice said, like, he was the face of Calm and basketball, and, like, the easy route, I guess, would have been to be, like, okay, like, I'll, you know, like, I'm leading this team, and you know you can be like the star of a bad team, or you can you know work harder and kind of um, like go through a harder path a little bit. You know, on the on a team that's gonna have more success, I guess. Um, so I feel like in some ways, like he is giving up something from being at Berkeley, but I feel like he would have probably gone to any school that like better than Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it was kind of a combination of both. Because on one hand, you did have... Uh, a, the hedge. Yeah. yeah you, you know, you know me. That's, that's You're not made for first take, Justin. <laughs> I was made for the starters. I wasn't made for first take. 
But yeah, I do think it was a combination of both because on one hand, you got to consider that Ohio State is a great opportunity. Not only is it a Power 5 school, but it is, you know, one of the relatively more better off Power 5 school with more of a recent history in terms of player success and player development. But then on the other hand, you know, suing would essentially have to be I don't want to necessarily equate it to the Titanic, but as you said, the captain of the Titanic, um, it's a situation where if he if he was to stay, he would be on this incredibly young team, this rebuilding team. This He would be on a team that would have, including him, four upperclassmen. You know, he is more likely than not he would get his stats if he was to remain on this team. But it's the question of, was the damage that occurred here too much to overcome any potential gains out of an, that could have come because of a new coach? And I feel like the dam- the residual damage was just too much for him to warrant staying. I do remember there was that Instagram live feed where someone actually asked him if he would consider staying at Cal, and yet the answer was, "Yeah, I would consider staying. I chose like I chose it for a reason." But at the same time, I think you know his time had come to an end just because of everything that had happened over the past two years and you never know what like a fresh start can do for you we see it all the time you know both in college basketball professional basketball or even just sports in general what a fresh start can really do for a player and sort of give their career if not a second wind really fulfilling that promise that they had shown at a prior destination and that's sort of how I see you know, justice going to Ohio State, that that combination of both. So I'm sorry to not give you a first take answer, Rory, but <laughs> that's sort of where I stand on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. But as we know, justice isn't the only player transferring from the program. And I'm not talking about Darius McNeil either. And I'm really not talking about Roman Davis either. I'm talking about the man himself, Ghost Braid. AKA Connor Vanover. Cue the sad flute music. Play it even louder. Play it as loud as it can possibly go. Connor Vanover, the man from Little Rock, Arkansas himself, is going back home. Going back to Arkansas with the Must Bus, Eric Musselman. And to really illustrate, you know, just the potential that he had to really be a pillar on this Cal team. You know, Rory, you made the point a while ago, you know, him and Matt Bradley really succeeding in spite of Viking. You know, Connor had a very successful first season, 7.5 points, 3.0 rebounds, 1.3 blocks, shooting 46.9% from the field, 35.5% from three. But if you really look at the minutes distribution of his time in Berkeley, it, it really doesn't paint the full picture to just really look at the raw stats because he had his stats really oscillated back and forth. You know, in, in non-conference play, he was being really seldom used. Then in that Cal Poly game, when he's having a career night, he uh, has the broken nose and concussion, sits out three games. Upon return, he's given a heavy dose of minutes. Then for four games, he doesn't play whatsoever. And then after that, for the rest of the season, he's a consistent. He start, he's starting these games. He's dropping 24 points on Stanford. He's setting career highs left and right. And at the end of it, we're left with... It sort of feels like we didn't get the full Vanover experience despite what we got. It felt as if it he was, you know, very seldom used throughout like for large stretches of the season. And it's sort of like an avatar situation. It's like when we when we needed him most, he vanished. I think that's the best equivalent. And, you know you know, so 
again, it's I think we're sort of a similar situation to Justice in that, you know, considering how his minutes had just been jostled so frequently throughout the season, and he never was really given that opportunity to establish a rhythm until the final 12 games of the season, it's not really surprising why he left. I think it's a little surprising because he was a freshman and made that decision outright, but considering how, you know, he, it feels like he never got that shot from the beginning, even though he did get it towards the end. It makes sense as to why he would depart from the program, especially when you have the opportunity to both go home and play for a coach like Eric Musselman. It's a knife through the heart, man. I'm so sad. I know Serena's equally sad about it. Our whole staff was Team Vanover. That's it's it's losing our cult hero, our symbol. Yeah, I have to say though, I like when he announced that he was saying his name in the transfer portal. I was like, I was heartbroken, but like knowing that he's going to Arkansas, his home state, and that Eric Musselman's the coach, like, that really got me excited for him, you know, like, helped me move on in some ways, because I love Eric Musselman, and I think that he's, like, the, the duo is just going to be great, and after he's, like, in his home state, like, I don't know, there's just, like, a lot of joy that, like, comes with that decision, I feel like. I feel as over the, like, over the next couple of years, even when, you know, we're all done with daily cal related activities i think we're going to be keeping an eye on vanover still just just keeping an eye on it he's pretty hard to miss too he's going to stay with us for sure that this is what makes viking's tenure so bad though not only did he destroy the program not (laughs) only did he piss off the fan base not only are students totally disinterested in this team now he makes players just want to leave like Vanover, who was a real future star for this program. And he sucked so bad as a coach. He didn't play him against Washington. Like, are you kidding me? When we were in Seattle, um, the whole season, he's up and down with his minutes. And he's like, you know what, I'm out. Like, Viking is taking, like, he's going, but he's taking a lot of bright stars with him. He's taking Justice down. He's taking Vanover. He's taking McNeil. God, man. Almost Jawan. Yeah. It's like a the supervillain where, you know, you kill him, but it's at great cost. You know, a few heroes go down with him. It's just, this is what makes it so bad. But, yeah, it's, we, we talked about this after the Washington win, not the, we talked about the question of, because Vanover had a really good game, and I, there's that one play in particular that sticks in my mind where Vanover gets the ball at the right elbow, and you know once you get that ball into the heart of Washington defense, you're probably going to be met by Matisse Thibel. And Vanover goes up for the jump shot. Matisse Thibel contests, and you know Thibel has like a 7-foot wingspan. He's 6'5", and you're thinking, if that's any other player in this conference, that shot is blocked. Vanover shoots it right over him, and then you go back to that first meeting up in Seattle, and you're thinking, why was he basically a DNP? It makes no sense! It's a a head, to say the least, a head-scratcher. To say the most, it basically ruined his shot at having, 
Because I, I legitimately believe if he had gotten the opportunity to play, you know, even if you had him playing 15 minutes during non-conference play and then you bumped it up to like 25 minutes during conference play, I truly believe that if he had the opportunity, he could have played his way onto the all-freshman team, especially considering, you know, sort of his doppelganger, so to say, in terms of body-wise, body, body wise, you know, Moses Brown made it. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of how Moses Brown first season went, especially his decision to enter the draft. That's a, a topic for another day. But if you, you know, I'll just throw some stats at you to really illustrate how great Vanover played when he was finally given that opportunity to play. In those final 11 games of the season, when he was averaging 25 minutes, he put up 11.6 points, 4.5 rebounds, two blocks while shooting 51.5% from the field and 41.5% from three. And then as I previously mentioned on that the game against Stanford on the road, Vanover put up 24 points, six blocks, five three-pointers. I think we could also even look to that Stanford game in particular as a reason that he left because, you know, he ended with 24 points, but he had 18 points in the first half. And, you know, the offense kind of got a little Paris Austin crazy. Yeah. I'm going to drive this every time. I'm Eric Bled, so I'm not going to, you know share the ball here you kind of got to think a little bit that you know some of that has to do with Viking and not telling his guys to be like hey we got a seven foot three guy that can't be stopped you know let's get him the ball a little bit and you know they kind of just went away from him and it was really much a head scratcher it's like you have a guy who base who matched his who no who set his career high in the first half and he's knocking down three pointers left and right there was that one three pointer when he was on the left wing Josh Sharma was in front of him. Oscar Da Silva was to the right of him, and he just bangs it home like it's nothing. And you're thinking, dude, he's a mismatch for any center in the Pac-12. Like, who's who can really guard him? Like Dickerson can't. Sharma wasn't. Like Jeter, uh, maybe. Like he takes a rim protector out of the paint. He could shoot. I mean, I don't know if you felt this way. It felt like earlier in the season he was almost in White King's doghouse. I mean, that's kind he, of starts, he starts Roman Davis. He started Roman Davis against Good management. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't really understand the logic behind that. You know, I do get that, especially in college basketball. You, you know, there's more of an incentive to really, you know, get on your guys and discipline them a little more because you know you're trying to shape these young men into you know men of the future yada 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 stuff of that nature but on the flip side even in non-conference play when he was playing really relatively seldom you know you saw the impact that he could have like when he was more of that cult hero and not really the productive player yet you saw the ways that he could stretch the floor and you know really knock down jump shots when he was given that healthy serving of minutes it was kind not exactly to the same extent but it reminds me of that San Diego State game when Grant you know he had like 13 and 6 and I'm thinking you know, if you give you know give these guys legitimate playing time and allow them to really feel out the game and see what can happen, that was sort of the same thing that happened with Vanover when he was given those consistent minutes. It made like you saw what he could do, and also this is one of the things that we didn't really touch upon, but Vanover was just fun to watch, like straight up, straight up. So the fun. dude, the dude, wets it on everyone. He's he's blocking shots. He can actually pass a little bit, and he's just a funny-looking guy. It's just this is <laughs> entertainment. Come on. Yeah, I – yeah, like, like the funnest – I know funnest isn't a word, but he's the funnest player to watch on that team. Like, 
yeah, obviously he stands out because of his size, but like how he carries, you know, just like running down the court and I, I just like not gonna ever forget him because of that. And you know, he'd like go up block a shot and like everyone just gets so wild up. Like he brought so much energy to the team too. I think everyone was just like so mesmerized by him. I feel like just that player. There's also the point that you're never going to be able to write that feature now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but now that we've sort of finished you know, our, our conversation talking about suing in Vanover, I think we should start getting into the players that Cal, that are actually going to be on this roster. And there's a couple of players that Cal picked up in addition to a prospect who Cal's kind of eyeing right now, a grad transfer, actually. So one of those two prospects is Kwani Kwani. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, formerly lived in South Sudan, and he also lived in Australia as well. Played at multiple schools before moving to the United States in 2015. Began his career at Victoria Rock Prep in Branson, Florida, before transferring to Prolific Prep in Napa. As a senior Prolific Prep, he averaged 9.9 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks. 6'10 forward, relatively long arms. I believe his wingspan is somewhere north of 7 feet. Not a ton of film on him, so it's really hard to gauge who he is as a player. But from the little film that I did watch, it seemed that he had the potential to be one of those really good three- or four-year players when you have the opportunity to develop him. I don't really want to put him in that box of point forward because, you know, I just have an infatuation with point forwards, I'm not going to lie. But it did seem, you know, he had those elements, you know, some nice passes. His jump shot looked relatively nice, so maybe there's some, some stretch form material there. But I think it's a nice little pickup. You know, we're not really going to have a full idea of what these guys look like until they get on the court. But, you know, especially because, you know, I'm forgetting the name of the, the assistant coach. But, you know, one of the assistant coaches that Mark Fox brought on actually has a specialty in sort of international recruiting. It's good to see Cal, you know, really venturing into those waters, so to say. And there's another prospect as well, and we'll get to him in a second. But what are y'all initial thoughts on the signing of Kwani Kwani? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really know much about prolific prep, but yeah, I thought it's been at Napa for the past few years, and um, yeah, I couldn't find much film on him either when I looked. So, I mean, it's difficult to see like what what he's really going to bring to the game besides you know the stats that we know about him. Um, but I feel like, I mean, he's a big guy, so like his height, I'm sure, is going to be helpful for the team. I don't think we have. That much height, especially with Vanover leaving, uh, to like fill, someone to fill kind of that role. Um, I feel like it's going to be helpful for sure. And I feel like he's just like, I, I mean, he seems like a good, like, solid player. And I feel like at this point, like, Cal needs, you know, like, he just needs people, honestly, on the team that, like, are capable of doing more, I guess, and progressing with time. Yeah, I think he he's definitely a project, and this is where you'll see Mark Fox's reputation as a coach who really develops players um, pay off here because, I mean, this kid is 6'10", but he's also only 200 pounds, and that there's just no way he's ready to bang bodies um, in the Pac-12. But So I think we're going to see a lot of development. He's going to hit the gym. And obviously just work on his game. So I don't know if he'll be an immediate help to the team, but I could see him being a really productive, you know, player over the long term for the program. 
the kind of pieces you want as you're like building, rebuilding um, your team. Yeah, he kind of strikes me as some, one of the players that if you give him the opportunity to really develop over three or four years, especially with the physical tools that he does have, it would be he could be one of those players that really evolves into, if not you know an all conference talent because I don't really want to place those expectations on him, but you know someone that can be a relatively solid role player. Which also brings me into our conversation about the second player that Cal picked up, Demetrios Klinaris. And similar to Kwani Kwani, it's even more difficult to find information on Klinaris, especially because he played overseas and never really made that jump uh, to the United States to play, really play prep ball. I believe he was rated two stars, but I believe that had a lot to do with him being overseas. He played for PAOK, a professional Greek sports club. I'm not exactly sure how like sports clubs work. I'm not not too familiar with European basketball. But what is worth noting is that he led Greece to the 2017 U16 FIBA Championship gold medal, a Greek team that went undefeated, led that team in assists, finished second in scoring. Don't have the approximations, but he averaged 14 points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals. And I was actually able to dig up a little more of film on him. There's a nine-minute highlight reel, I believe, stitched together by his coach. So you know, when we're going through something like that, it's uh, it's going to favor his strengths and not really, you know, target his weaknesses. But from the little things that I did see, he really struck me as someone like not relatively super athletic, but he appears to be, you know, he has a lot of tools in his tool belt, so to say. If nothing else, he has a really like what appears to be a really solid jump shot that can help a Cal team that did lose Darius McNeil and Vanover, a team that does need shooting. And he did have a, a way to get that shot off in a variety of ways. Uh, some fadeaways, some step backs, you know, some catch and shoot. I feel as if he does need to get a little quicker with that jumper from what I've seen. There's times in which he's gotten it off relatively uh, slowly, but I also saw some times when he was able to, you know, have a relatively quick trigger on it as well. And, you know, he kind of strikes me as one of those players, especially because he was playing, at least to my knowledge, he was playing with grown men who should be able to come into this environment relatively uh, prepared not only physically but mentally because when you're banging bodies with players you know who can are five potentially even 10 years older than you and you go into an environment where you're not playing against people your age it kind of does something you psychologically yeah definitely i mean he's going to be more mature than your typical american high school player just because you have that professional mindset as opposed to you know the more amateur culture we have here um I like that he's just left-handed. I just have a thing for left-handed <laughs> players. In 2K, I always make my players left-handed, even though I'm right-handed. I always wanted to bat left-handed in baseball. I just got a thing for that. But um, he's 6'6", so he's big. He'll be a 2. Um, but he can actually pass the ball a little bit. He's pretty... I was watching probably the same highlight video you watched. He's pretty good maneuvering around screens and kind of you know, figuring out the angles on the court. Um, and he had, like, some nice speed, breakaway speed. He had a lot of coast-to-coast highlights where he'd grab a board and just dribble the length of the court. I mean, it's hard to know the competition he's facing. It's kind of the same thing when we saw Giannis onto the Kumpo highlights when he got drafted. You're like, is he playing, like, dudes at, like, 24-hour fitness right now? Like, it's hard to know the competition, but... Um, yeah, he looked, I mean, I think he might be pretty good. I actually feel pretty optimistic about him. Um, I don't know immediately how it'll be, but 
he has a good foundation to build on, and I'm sure Mark Fox can, you know, do something with him. Yeah, he definitely seems like the type where he has, you know, a variety of ways that he can score, a variety of ways that he can really get to the bucket. It's a matter of refining those ways. I really... <laughs> I really hate to use this comparison, but I'm I'm using it specifically in terms of play style. Rory, I think you're thinking the same thing I am. But when I saw him hit a step back three, there was one name that popped into my head, and you and I both know who I'm thinking of. The Dragic? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I, think, think a little more hype, think a little more recent, think a little more young. A little younger than... You're not saying Harden, are you? No, I think a little younger. Younger than Harden. I guess we're not thinking of the same player. I was thinking a little bit of Luca. Oh, little... wow. <laughs> like I hate to place those expectations, but like when I see I just just in seeing someone who's I'm 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 strictly saying this, I'm strictly saying this in terms of play style and how like who he reminds me of play style-wise. And with yeah, with him being a lefty a little bit. I mean, with, he with does him being it. a lefty, little Ginobili yeah. too. I got the Dragic vibes from the lefty and just the way he'd kind of maneuver around the screen. But he's a two, so it's kind of... I mean, it seems like he handles the ball a lot for this team, but he's definitely going to be a two in the Pac-12. Um, Especially with Paris Austin being there as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, comparisons are weird because um, everyone has a different perception of certain players, but... And more importantly, like, he has a lot of skills, and he's, you know, more athletic than you'd think. So I think he'd be something for this team, especially, like, just like Kwani Kwani. It might not be an immediate thing, but, I mean, you know, he'll be here for two, three years. That's that's what you need as you, like, start rebuilding your program, try to establish some success. Especially because one of the things that I'm going to be looking for this season is just how many minutes they really give to the young guys and whether or not that youth movement is legitimately a priority. As opposed to... Like, do they even have a choice? They kind of have to at this point, right? Just with like the they're all young group. guys for the match, right? Yeah. I don't think yes, they have the option to not. Yeah, I guess the exception is, you know, Jawan's now a junior, Grant's now a junior, Paris is a senior... And I guess it, it really leads to that question of whether or not you see those three really being pillars of the future and whether or not you would prioritize their minutes over the freshmen. So I guess there's that question as well. Who gets what minutes, how many minutes, what like at what point in the game are those minutes being distributed? Questions of that nature. I guess we can really save those for the season preview next year. You, you just know that injuries are going to happen. It's a, it's a matter of... At, at least one player is going to get injured that's in the starting lineup or is in the rotation. So when that happens, I think we'll see one of these guys get some run, um, at least for a few. I think it might depend a little bit on where Jawan is and what, like how he improves from year two to year three. I know I sent you that clip of you know him in the gym knocking down jumpers. You know, there is very much a difference between knocking down jumpers in an empty practice gym. You That's just a slow release, man. That's a slow yeah. release. Yo. But it is a start. It, it is a start. Is a start. <laughs> yep. Well, considering that he's he's over 23 on his career, he's got a, he's nowhere to go but up, necessarily. Well, that's what we said about this year's team, and somehow it got worse, so.
who knows, honestly. <laughs> um, I was going to say, should we talk about Kareem South now? Yeah, I was actually going to lead into that because, you know, we're talking about whether or not Cal really has that option to play the young guys. And I think Kareem South, a potential graduate transfer who has Cal essentially in his top three along with Vanderbilt and Northwestern, it presents an interesting dilemma for this. Well, actually, sorry to interrupt, but um, I don't know if I know that there's allegedly his top three, but there's one comment on the Cream South highlight video, which has 380 views, the same. Um, the first comment, first and only comment says, hey, Kareem, I heard you're transferring. Please transfer to Boston College to, quote, unquote, help the basketball team be great again. Reasons why you must transfer to Boston College. These are all bullet points here. <laughs> the campus is very beautiful. One. Two. Beer, wine, and blue bunny ice cream is sold at basketball, football, hockey, baseball, and softball games. Parentheses. Some of the beer options include Budweiser and Bud Light. Beer costs $8 and wine costs $9. Point number three, the official team outfitter for Boston College's Under Armour. Hmm, so, so is Cal. Cal. So is Cal. Reason number four, Boston College is in the athletic Atlantic Coast Conference. Friends Cal is not. <laughs> Point number four, their basketball arena holds 8,606 fans. Cal holds more. Five, Vin Baker's son is on the basketball team. Parentheses, not a joke. So... Uh, I don't know. I know that's his top three, but I think after reading this comment, Boston College might be in there. Fans, I need you to comment and respond to this guy. This is a real comment. I swear to God, I'm reading this. That's so funny. As as you were reading those off, I I went and found the video. It is... My goodness. It's real. I... I got to screen grab that and, and post it when we post this podcast. Yo, I'm going to reply to that. I'm going to reply to that. I'm going to list my own reasons. Reply no. Because now that I'm all, you know, now that I'm graduated, now I don't have to act like I'm an objective source about Cal, as Andrew Wilde wants us to be, you know. <laughs> now I can be a full-on stan. So I'm, I'm going to use my nice Andrew Monday. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it, Kareem South does present an interesting dilemma. On one hand, Cal is in need of someone to play that two-guard role. You know, I think that he could, you know, hypothetically fill in that Darius McNeil role, you know, as a perimeter threat who can knock down the three. But, you know, if the goal of the program as of right now is to develop the young talent, there is a concern that if South was to commit to Cal he would you know, be taking minutes from some of the younger guys, especially when the goal is not next season, but way far into the distance. But to sort of counter my counter, so to say, Whoa. You, also, I just, you, you also just need, at this point in time, you also just need talent on this team. You need bodies. And you don't want it to get to a point where these young guys are being run into the ground and you know, you don't want them to continuously compound mistakes and not really have someone there to pick them up or really re- and sub them out. And you never know what someone uh, like what South could potentially do and just in terms of experience and really allowing these guys to grow, even if it just what is one year. So I think there is an interesting dilemma in terms of whether or not this would be a mutually beneficial relationship, so to say. I think if Cal was maybe a 
maybe like a 15-16 win team, it would make a lot more sense. But considering their wins are approximately half of that, it's a little bit of a it's it's a question mark as to whether or not this would be the best move. And it's not necessarily like professional basketball where you need the 38 year old who's like a 14 year vet to really help navigate the young guys because everyone's relatively the same age as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you have a chance to get one of these guys, you just take the opportunity and figure it out from there. But I do definitely see what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of like if we're trying to rebuild and build the young guys' confidence up, why are we going to bring in this this transfer who's 22 years old and is obviously going to take a lot of shots and, you know, try to get noticed for the NBA draft? Um, But I mean, anything. Oh, no, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say, I feel like if anything, like it, like it's good for Cal because like Mark Box can decide when to use him and when not, you know, and have that like um, ability, you know, and be like, okay, like right now, yeah, we just need talent on the court, you know, let's put him in, um, or like let's give the younger guys some more opportunities, like them out, you know, like build, like it just allows more versatility. I feel like um, for Cal. Um, I feel like if anything, like, it might not be mutually beneficial, you know, for him. Um, but I feel like it's advantageous uh, to have him on the roster for sure. And I can't really imagine him, you know, as a grad transfer taking a bench role, especially when, you know, at his career at Corpus Christi, he was essentially a starter for the majority of his career beginning with his sophomore year. He makes 28 starts out of 36 games his sophomore year. And then he basically starts every game during his, rather his freshman year, rather. And basically starts every game his sophomore and junior. Actually, no, his his years are kind of weird. But he's basically started almost every game during his career at Texas A&M. And I really doubt he's going to transfer to a program where he's not going to be given that opportunity to start. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's, I mean, with these things, there's always an agreement that if I sign with you guys, you know, I'm going to get this many minutes. So he would definitely play if we get him. Um, and I feel like it is, yeah, it does, like, weigh on the younger guy's minutes. And, and he's just going to be another player that the following year going to be like, okay, we have to fill his shoes, you know. He's going to step up and do that. Which I guess is just kind of the dilemma as a whole. I mean, I know with Cream South, he's from Toronto, Canada, so we have our Canadian Player of the Week potentially mm-hmm. locked in every week season. So that segment will be locked and loaded. Um, but I feel pretty good about these kind of players. They're getting um, at the start. I mean, we know how I feel about Mark Fox. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he is good with player development. So I'll be interested to see how this starts um, first year of him kind of rebuilding Cal basketball from the ground up. I think these are good pieces, definitely. Oh, I, yeah, I just think like the recruits reflect well on him. Like, I think he did a good job of picking up an assistant, picking up um, these two guys and possibly Queen South as well. Um, just like building this, this solid incoming group of 
players. And I think Mark Fox has sort of made the best of a bad situation up to this point in time. Because the thing with Vanover and Suing and McNeil, I feel as if it was, you know, their decision was only, like, it was going to very minimally push the needle, What like, regardless who they hired. You can make, you know, you can't really get into these guys' minds, but you could make an argument that their minds were made up before the hiring. And, you know, you know, you can try to persuade these guys to come back, but at the end of the day, they're going to make their decision based on what they fee- they see fit. And for him to be able to pick up, you know, these two guys in Kwani Kwani and Demetrios Klonaris, as well as potentially get Kareem South, I think it does speak volumes to what he's been able to do, and especially considering the reputation that he has to combat as well, because you're not just inheriting, you know, your, you know, any old Power 5 conference school. You're inheriting one of, you know, over the past two seasons arguably the worst college basketball team given the circumstances so for him to be able to get two young guys for him to even have a graduate transfer in conversation I think that is a testament to what he's been able to do in the little time that he has been here so far yeah I mean it's it's a step it's all baby steps right now and trying to rebuild this program um I agree with what you said though about Suing and McNeil probably leaving regardless. It was just that was that's the worst thing about having poor coaching is it's not only the losses, it's the talent that they drive away and the institutional damage that that rots in a franchise in a excuse me, a program. So you know, it's gonna take a while. It's we're picking up the pieces here, but I think Cal fans could be somewhat excited about the direction we're going in. The key word, somewhat. And I really don't know when we're going to do this again either, because we've said that a couple times now. All I know is um, Dennis Rodman's son uh, committed to play at Washington State. So I think I'm definitely going to go to the game next season, Washington State-Cal, which is already always a fun time. Um, now I'm even more excited because potentially Dennis Rodman will be in attendance, and that really, really gets me hyped. <laughs> the content, content machine, machine keeps, keeps on, on turning. turning. It keeps turning, baby. <laughs> With that being said, episode number one, season. Oh, I'm <laughs> season number one, episode twenty-five. This is season finale. This very well might be like the actual season finale proper. We've said that a couple times. Yo, listeners, listen to Cat, uh, Justice's Cal Baseball podcast, okay? You're... Taking that College World Series run. They got Devin Baker. Darren. <laughs> Giants fans. Derek, whatever. The dude JT Snow picked up in the, you know, O two 2 playoffs. So, check it out. He talks to the illustrious Joey Patton. A.K.A. Jose Patron. Yes. So check him out. Still on the pod? Who? Jo- Joey. Oh yeah, Joey, Lucy, and Max. Joey graduated as well, so you know he. All three of them graduated. Oh, that's oh, right. oh. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's going, going to Hollywood on me. All you got is Serena now. It depends if Serena even wants to come back. Mm. Oh, yeah, I know. The Connor Vanover leaving is pretty traumatic for. Yeah, I'm thinking about going to Arkansas, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, pretty good. But I think we can. (laughs) 
I think we can call it here. I think this is actually like the true season finale. I I don't I don't really know what else there is to like. There, I think there's probably going to be some minor news in like between now and next season starting, maybe a prospect or two. But I think this is kind of it. This I think we've kind of hit our wall finally. We got to have a greatest hits episode where we just piece <laughs> together all the greatest segments and sound bites of this year. Honestly, I think we got to start with the um, Serena's infamous hot take and just go from there. Yes. Get on it, editors. <laughs> but I guess, uh, I guess with that being said, the season one finale, just that hurts to say. That just really hurts to say. Tear in my eye. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't ready, ready to say that today. I, I, was, I didn't, didn't come, come into this episode thinking this would really be it. Really be it. I really, we, we, we've, we've said, said this a couple times, times now, but I think, I think this is truly... <laughs> I, feel I feel like Brett Favre, Favre trying to, to yeah, you know, this just, is just retire. This is actually, <laughs> actually it proper. But season one finale. Justin Del Santos. Rory O'Toole. Serena Carana. One last time. Until next time. Signing off.